0: The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience, and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth, and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series, I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In today's episode, I am speaking to Mary about the births of her two children Mary briefly speaks about the birth of her son in hospital where she was induced and experienced complications and birth trauma. And yeah, then we go on to discuss her beautiful home birth that she had with her daughter the second time around, surrounded by family and friends. Mary describes herself as a birthkeeper, educator, mentor and facilitator of childbearing wisdom. In this episode, we also discuss some of the amazing work she's doing in the birth world with different organisations within Australia and internationally, and I've included links to her website where you can find out more about her offerings and also find links to all of those organisations that are mentioned um, throughout the discussion in this episode. So yeah, let's get into today's show. Hi, Mary. How are you today? Thank you for joining me on the podcast.
1: Hi, Indy, Thank you. I'm pretty well, actually. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's good to be here.
0: Would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family and what you do for work for the listeners?
1: Sure. Um, so I am Mary Giordano, and I am many things. Uh, so my family, I am mother of two. Uh, my son Oliver is six and a half, and my daughter Lana is just over two. And my husband Giovanni. We live here in Melbourne since. Oh gosh, a few years ago now, nine years maybe. Um, And yeah, my uh, professional background is in community development and education, so working predominantly with women and young families during their transition from migrant and refugee backgrounds during their transition to Australia, during their resettlement. But after the birth of my second child, I started a small business of my own called Mother Luna, and so I work as a doula, birthkeeper, um, independent childbirth educator and mentor and facilitator of rituals, childbearing rituals. So that's kind of um, my current work, uh, but I also am involved with uh, some not-for-profits. I've always been working with not-for-profits and still involved with partnerships um, with a number of different not-for-profits working to support and improve maternal and neonatal health outcomes um in particularly in marginalized communities around the world so yeah that's very much a nutshell
0: wow yeah sounds fascinating i'd um i'd love to talk to you more about that because i'm actually going back to study next year and i'm tossing up between um humanitarian aid and midwifery and i can't decide and it sounds like you'd have some good insight into that
1: interesting yeah wow they both sound really interesting. I studied anthropology and social sciences and languages and education. So um, I have a particular interest in cultural competency in the birth space and also you know, culturally competent practice in any space. Um, but being sort of emerging in, in the birth sphere, that's an area, that's something that I'm particularly interested in, the cultural competency and the nuance of the use of language in the birth space, particularly with families who come from diverse uh, language and cultural backgrounds. Um yeah, humanitarian space. It's, those are big big topics. I can't really advise you. I think they're both, be, both be very interesting. Um yes. if you're interested in in following I actually work as um I'm part of a uh the the a team of an, a not for profit called Adventure Adventurous Midwives. Um and it's a not for profit working to uh improve, as I said, maternal and, and infant health outcomes in indigenous communities, actually very remote communities around the world. It's a new not-for-profit that was founded by a woman called Allegra Ali, who also founded the Wild Born Project. And it's very much in the the early baby stages of the organization. So um, the idea is to take small groups of midwives and birth workers to very remote communities for two week, approximately two week expeditions, um, twice a year or so to different parts of the world to learn and collaborate with the local traditional uh, knowledge holders and, and uh, midwives and practitioners or, or just women really working in that space and also to do cultural mapping to try and map and uh, preserve the sacred knowledge and spaces and, and sites that they have um, and learn from them, really. Um, so our first expedition was planned for next month, October this year, to Papua New Guinea to a very, very remote tribe called the, Kos- the Kosowa people in the Basavi region, but, of course, it was postponed, like everything has been. Mm-hmm. So really, unfortunately, that is on hold. But um, hopefully op- operations will recommence next year. But, of course, we have to wait and see. So my role is the midwife coordinator, so I work to support the midwives in their preparation for the expedition, help them to identify their research question and focus and work alongside the um, – I will be working with our um, – the advisors of the organisation as well to help sort of understand how to work uh, in a culturally appropriate way with the local, local women and communities. Um, so, yeah, really exciting work.
0: Wow. And that's, yeah, that's amazing. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like it's tied together kind of um, your previous work that you were doing and the new kind of stuff you're exploring as a doula. Um, yeah, it sounds like a perfect kind of project to be involved in.
1: Yeah, it does. It's very exciting, actually. So, um, yes, it is. Uh, And I've also been volunteering a bit for Birth for Humankind here in Melbourne, who you might be familiar with. They work with refugee and migrant families, refugee families predominantly, and also homeless women and young women. So providing free doula care and support to women from those communities uh, through their network, large network of volunteer doulas. So I'm not volunteering as a doula with them because I – actually was going to, but I haven't managed to fit their uh, training rounds yet. I've been too busy, but I did do some administri- administrative support for them voluntarily last year. And it's an organisation that's also a really great one to follow if you're interested in that mm-hmm. sort of, um, I guess, uh, that, that sort of space between humanitarian work and midwifery and, and stuff.
0: Mm, yeah, sounds perfect. I'll, um, yeah, I'll definitely um, get those names off you again at the end and I'll pop them in the show notes in case anybody else is interested, but I definitely am. Yes. And um, yeah, we might dive into your birth. So we're doing, uh, you've got two children, so we're going to talk through both of those births. And first was a hospital birth and you went on to have a home birth after that. Would you like to share um, yeah a little bit about your first birth and, yeah, kind of starting with conception and how you felt pregnant?
1: Sure. Um, So my first birth, gosh, six and a half years ago. um, So I fell pregnant much more quickly than anticipated, because I have polycystic ovaries. um, And although I don't have the polycystic ovary syndrome, I just figured that when it came time to try and conceive, having the polycystic ovaries and also very, very irregular cycle would would make it maybe difficult to conceive. So I was quite surprised on the third month of trying to have a positive test and in disbelief, really. But anyway, it was it was good, because that's what we wanted. Um, I was very naive. I was booked in to have my son at the birth centre, the family birthing centre in the Mercy Hospital, because we lived nearby there at the time. Um, and so I had all my appointments. They were changing their model of care right at that time that, that he was due. So I was sort of fitting between one model of care and another one that was being introduced. But there was a bit of shuffling and things, and uh, in the end, the midwife who was allocated to me um, had had to move on, or had some family something happen, and she couldn't be on call for my birth. And when I did go, I had a um, premature rupture of the membranes at 38 and a half weeks. And um, as it turns out, when I went to the hospital, I had midwives who I hadn't met before, so I was attended by midwives that I had no relationship with at all, and hadn't met anyone prior to the, the labor. Um, I, won't go into, I won't go on and on because it's a lot. it was quite a long birth, but basically my waters broke and uh, we, we were checked to see what they suggested we do. And they suggested waiting for 24 hours, which we did at home. And then we went back in and they were suggesting an induction. And unfortunately at the time, although my instincts were uh, telling me that I shouldn't be induced, I didn't know enough uh, at the time, and I allowed myself to be coerced by three doctors standing at my bedside saying, "You have to, do, you should do this because it's dangerous if you don't." Basically, so I did end up, end up being um, induced, and like is often the case, that led to further intervention and um, a, a labor that progressed more rapidly than perhaps my body was ready for and that I was ready for, and um, and the baby, who, we, we didn't know the gender of the baby at the time, but um, the baby was turned posterior, so, um, and I had a very, very strong and uncontrollable urge to push at some point, which the midwife thought was odd because it hadn't been long enough that I was in labour for, and so she, she asked to assess me, and she did, and I was only five centimetres. Um, but my body was pushing, and I was trying very hard not to push it, but I, which sent me into a bit of a panic because I couldn't stop it because it was so overwhelming. And so it was very, very distressing for me. And um, I remember leaning over the back of the bed and during the contraction, just thumping on the metal bed frame out of just like frustration and fear, I think, and um, just trying to release some of that power some other way than downward, I think. Um, And I think they got me to try a couple of different positions, but none of them really none of them relieved the urge to push. So in the end, they said the only thing that would relieve the urge to push would be to have an epidural, which I at at that point agreed to immediately because anything to stop that urge to push was just like, yes, I need this to stop because I know I shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. My body's doing the wrong thing. So we actually had to transfer next door into the birth suite because they don't administer epidurals in the birth centre. So in between contractions, we shuffled in next door and – Um, accommodated ourselves again which my husband says was quite a uh, confronting moment for him as the primary and only birth support person because here we go from one sort of environment straight into a new one and by the time he went back to collect our bags they were already sort of cleaning the room and of course they do it's just normal procedure right but it just makes it so I guess it sort of hits you in the face of how um, yeah clinical I suppose the space is anyway The anaesthetist came in with a trainee anaesthetist who administered my epidural and put it into the wrong space, or put it in too far, and gave me a puncture of the membranes, um, which they started to talk about. Was a it's called a posterior puncture? I think there's actually a better name for it, but that's what I'll call it. Um, So they started to talk to me about the risks of what might happen as a result, and at the time. They talked about a headache, and at the time I was like, oh, whatever, I can deal with a headache, like, that's nothing. Um, but they kept raising this headache, and I will get to that in a little while. But the issue with the epidural being in the wrong space was that they couldn't give me a regular dose, so it also wasn't particularly effective. And I had to keep getting the just to come back to top it up. So um, I was so not really...
0: Sorry, just going back, I've yeah, I've never heard of that where they've like punctured the membrane board. the spinal cord
1: the the membrane maybe that's not the yeah the spinal membrane is that the word gosh I'm having a the spinal, yeah, it, I'm not they punctured. Sure. yeah the mater. so I had a, a leaking cerebrospinal fluid so yeah long story short I wasn't in a <laughs> I found myself on a bed on my back after planning to birth very actively and um and with movement uh, on my back in a bed in a very passive position with an epidural that wasn't working and lots of discussion about what that would mean and um, midwives coming and going and ether just coming going to top it up and and check on it and then talking about what they would do to try and um, minimize the risk of this headache that they were talking about anyway that went on at least my the urge to push stopped that was good Um, and I don't know how many hours later I they've said i was fully dilated so i started to push and i pushed for three hours more than three hours and baby was descending but not coming out so at some point around 11 pm an obstetrician came in and said that she needed to go to theater and she thought i needed help because i was too tired and she could either help me then or she could come back after the theater in another hour and help me then pretty much and i said i wanted to keep pushing and she insisted that i was too tired and I ended up, again, sort of agreeing, but not really, yeah, it was kind of, um, how can I say? I mean, obviously it was it was informed consent, but it wasn't, um, I think I was a bit despondent by that point. And so I uh, ended up agreeing for her to deliver the baby with forceps. Um, and so she, and then she said, we'll just give you an episiotomy to make it easier and blah, blah, blah usual story. So we'll just do this This kind of um, very um, uh, interesting use of language that is very common to, to find in the in the maternity sort of space in hospital. We'll just do this. We'll just do that. It's uh, not really asking for consent. It's just kind of telling you. Anyway, so um, they did that. I remember saying at the time, I don't think I'm ready to have a baby, but she said, oh, it's too late for that. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, I, I remember the snip of the scissors and I felt it, the episiotomy and, um, baby was delivered. So there he was, we had a healthy baby boy, um, with marks on his face, and all of that, but he was fine. And the following three hours were quite blissful. Three, four, I don't know how many hours it was. Um, my husband and myself and the baby in the birth suite listening to PBS radio at, in a very, very early, early Friday morning, nighttime, with a beautiful radio program on and it was really peaceful and we just rested for a few hours. And then when my husband went home, I was transferred upstairs to the, to the ward and around 10 a.m. one of the midwives uh, in the ward told me I should wake up the baby to feed him because I hadn't fed him yet and they started sort of telling me I needed to do this and that and when I sat up, I felt my head and... This And I told them I had a headache and I think the midwives on the ward didn't realise what had happened to my back or didn't realise what was going on. And anyway, the headache got worse and worse to the point where I couldn't sit up and the only thing that would relieve it was lying down. So um, I spent actually the first three days lying down and my husband spoon fed me and the midwives helped get uh, the colostrum with a syringe from my nipples and helped me feed the baby and um, when the baby was uh, when my son was um, you know how when new new babies they can they cough a lot when they're trying to clear the fluid from their lungs
0: mm. and
1: he would do that during the night, but I couldn't sit up to get to him, so that was quite awful. I would just mm. press the button so then midwives would come and get him because I couldn't actually get he was just next to me, but I couldn't sit up to get him out of the crib, so they ended up actually taking him into the nursery overnight, which I found quite distressing, but I couldn't do much about it um I soiled myself on the third day because I they hadn't they'd been just giving me normal food and didn't realize I had a catheter of course because I couldn't get out of bed but they didn't realize that I um, I think by the time I, I realized I needed to go to the bathroom it was too late so I soiled myself. Oh my <laughs> not a beautiful experience um, and the neither just kept visiting every day a couple of times a day talking about how the pain was going in my head and it was not only pain in the head and when I say pain it's it's not like a pain that you might imagine it's it's like a truck's driving over your head it's a very very severe pain but accompanying that was like a noise in my ears so everything was amplified and I was sharing the room with another woman who had a big family that was always visiting and it was just unbearably noisy and unbearable to to have all of that sort of going on in my head um and on the third day they 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 Kept telling me that, that they could do this thing called a blood patch, and I, um, which is actually going back to surgery to theatre and um, taking some blood out of the arm and injecting it into the spine to try and close the puncture or seal the puncture.
0: Mm. So you can
1: imagine that I wasn't particularly so there was a certain percentage uh, or, or st- st- statistical likelihood of that working, um. But it didn't appeal to me. But anyway, on the third day, I eventually agreed because the alternative was to wait potentially for weeks or months for the headache to go away by itself and I couldn't care for my infant whilst mm-hmm. I was doing that. We have no family in Melbourne, by the way. So we went into the theatre and, um, and had the procedure and then I had to lie down flat for another 24 hours for it to actually seal and luckily by the next day it had worked and I could sit up and feed him and get up and have a shower for the first time and um yeah try to get out of there which we did pretty quickly after that
0: (laughs) wow that's yeah that's so huge and sounds like just yeah coming off the back of that just having that whole smorgasbord of interventions and then the issue with your spine on top of it all um yeah pretty rough start to parenting um yeah how did you yeah how was the adjustment once you got home
1: it was hard. We have no family in Melbourne, so it was just us right from the start. But um, we don't know any different, so that's just kind of the way it is. But um, yeah, it wasn't. I mean, it's never easy to adjust to new to having a baby, especially the first time around when you don't know what to expect. It's very overwhelming. And um, the first year of my son's life was. It's kind of a blur to me. It was. I've often described it as traumatic um, because I found it quite very very difficult to adjust. Um, he didn't sleep very much. I was probably quite anxious and um, not that confident and just confused like a, like we often are with the overload and overwhelm of information and advice and opinions that come our direction from all different ways. Um, and, yeah, maybe didn't trust my own instincts. I, I don't even really remember. But um, it was hard, very, very hard. Um, so much so, and not only the first year, I think. Honestly, my son, he's, he's very active and very um, – He's full on like most kids, and the more time that passed, the more I thought I can never do this again. Like I'm never having another child. <laughs> Not more than one. And the more he, I sort of thought when he gets a bit bigger it'll be easier. But it was like actually when he got bigger it was just more and more intense in different ways. So it was hard. Mm. But eventually <laughs> we tried again.
0: Yeah, and um, we didn't really speak much about kind of before you. Um, conceived the first time sort of yeah what you're bringing up was like and how you kind of viewed birth but would you like to speak yeah a little bit to that and then kind of yeah off the back of that birth how you were feeling as um as you kind of approached falling pregnant the next time like um yeah just yeah any difference in kind of how you anticipated birth and what you wanted
1: prior to the first pregnancy yeah um I definitely, I mean, I, I alluded to the fact that I had hoped for an active birth, so I was in the, mater- the family birthing suite, I think it was called, um, so my, my expectation was that it would be relatively easy to have uh, an intervention-free, normal, active birth. I don't really remember um, having any particular expectations, I didn't have a birth plan, but I, other than uh, being in that in that space, I suppose, which implied uh, that I wouldn't have an epidural because I, they didn't have them there. Um, and, yeah, oh, that's my little one just out there having a bit <laughs> of a
0: Um
1: So, yeah, well, well my, my previous views around birth. Um, my mum had two normal births and, uh, yeah, I didn't fear birth. I was, I was quite excited about it, I think. Um, mm,
0: but, yeah, I, mean- I can't yeah and then I guess how did how were you feeling? you know you mentioned that it took quite a long time before you sort of even considered that you might like to have another baby? What was that kind of transition from that space to starting to conceive again like and um, yeah, was there, yeah, it sounds like pretty traumatic your birth, so was there much sort of processing that you had to do around that to get to a point where um- you another
1: yes I mean I'm probably still processing that to be honest (laughs) in some ways I mean I think quite a bit about the limbic imprint that my son has and um like the way that he was born and what that means for him to have been delivered by forceps and he's six and a half now and still you know multiple times a day so many times a day I feel like I have to drag him to do anything like it just seems often that it's a battle to get him to do to brush his teeth, to get in the shower, to get out of the shower, to get into bed, to get out of bed, to put his shoes on, to take his shoes off, to come out of the house, to come in the house, everything. Like he's just not quite ready. And so I I reflect quite often on, on, you know, there is this school of thought of the the limbic imprint, which is the – are you familiar with the limbic imprint?
0: Yeah, Yeah. not not in great depth, but yeah, a little bit.
1: So like the imprint of when the baby is born and and that experience of them, how that impacts them as a person and – you know, it, it makes sense, I think, to, to think about a baby who was induced, who wasn't obviously ready to be born necessarily and then was pulled out by forceps quite forcefully. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people believe that that has an impact on – and I, I probably believe that it also does. So, yeah, I'm still processing it probably. Maybe I'll always be processing it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not um, definitely much, very much at peace with it now Um I've kind of, I guess I process it more from a place of curiosity now rather than um, suffering or anxiety or fear or regret or guilt or anything like that. Uh, But I did have a debriefing with Rhea Dempsey when he was about six weeks postpartum because I kept reliving that moment when I was pushing too early and when I was having those sort of panic moments. And I was reliving those and it was quite distressing. So I had a chat with her in in person for two hours and she just helped me understand um, sort of why it played out like that and helped me understand some of the the policies around the hospital that I was in as well as the policies at other hospitals that gave me the context to understand why things happened that way, I suppose, not with the complications but with the induction and with, um, you know, Different things that I might have done. It just helped me to process, and, and that's all I really needed. Um, yeah, so when we came to try again, we really did that. I think not that we were ready because I don't think we were, we're still not ready to be parents and we've got two children, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. um, I think it was age was an issue, um, thinking about being mindful of age and also, also being mindful of whether it would be difficult to conceive, whether it was just luck the first time that it was so quick or, or not. Um So once again we tried and we became pregnant, I think on the first month, um, which was again a big surprise. Um, mm. That one turned out turned out to be a missed miscarriage and there's a whole, whole other story associated with that that I won't go into now because it's a bit long. Um, mm. But then we conceived again about a year and a half after that. and it then only took again a few months. Um, and yeah, so mm. are you ready for me to just talk about that one or?
0: Yeah, yeah, I might um, ask a few more questions this time around um, to get a bit more kind of depth behind it. So yeah, after you fell pregnant or, or before you fell pregnant, were you kind of already thinking about having a home birth? I mean, I imagine maybe it would have come up with Rhea possibly, but um, yeah, was that sort of already a possibility for you when you were planning the pregnancy or at what point did you kind of make that decision?
1: Yeah, look, it didn't come up with Rhea really other than I don't even remember whether she's. I don't think so. I think we really spoke just more about the policies of the hospitals and comparing policies so that I understood, for example, that the hospital that I was birthing at had the policy of whatever 48 hours, I think, of um, ruptured membranes before they recommend an induction, where others have less time, others have more time, just to give me an understanding that, you know choices and decisions aren't necessarily blanket all across the board and they're also not necessarily black and white and there is room for um, choice in these and I could have still declined the induction even when the doctors were pressuring me and I could have gone home and waited which is what I wish I had done and what she would have said would have been obviously more um, yeah maybe give my body more chance to actually progress labour on its own Mm -hmm. but we didn't really talk about home birth. Um, I think we, my husband and I had just very um, sort of fleetingly considered home birth with the first one, but the cost was definitely off-putting and it seemed, um, yeah, I, just, I don't think we could allow ourselves. We didn't have the financial uh, um, possibility, I think, the first time around. But the second time around, we just assumed that we would birth in hospital again probably at the Royal Women's because we moved to a different part of Melbourne, closer to there. Um, it wasn't until I was 16 weeks pregnant and I had an appointment with a private midwife, um, Jan Island from mama, who Mm. I had a chat with. And when she asked me what sort of birth I wanted, and I explained to her that I wanted a birth in a, you know, an uninterrupted, uh, an uninterrupted birth in a dim, lit and quiet, peaceful environment. And she said to me, that sounds like a home birth. And that's when I started to consider home birth as a, as a possibility,
0: so mm. yeah, yeah, amazing. And did you go? Did you use Jan as your midwife? Or
1: yeah, we did.
0: Yeah, yeah, lovely. And um, yeah, do you want to speak to a little bit what the what kind of the care looked like with her? And um, I'm not sure about Mama whether they have a clinic or if their visits in your home. And um, yeah, any sort of tests that you chose to have or or specifically didn't choose to have during the pregnancy?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so we had the the doctor, my GP had sent my referr- referrals to the women's, but I didn't end up having any appointments at the women's. Um, so um, the appointments were all with, with Jan and her other midwives in the clinic until I think 36 or so weeks gestation where they started. We had the appointments at home from that point. Um, and the care was, it was great. Um it was very kind of relaxed and just matter of fact. Jan is very matter of fact. I'm not sure if you know her, but not she's just what, I, just what I needed probably. Um, and, yeah, it was just like, well, birth is birth. It's, you know, you go through, you can look at what the indications are for a home birth at a certain point so that we know what they are. Um, but other than that, you just go along and... Pregnancy is normal, and it's kind of yeah, it's just it wasn't wasn't quite matter of fact like it was just it it just was it just was. Hmm. Um, and tests, I I did have the 20 week scan and um, didn't have an early scan because I didn't want to um, have potentially uh, be upset with uh, another missed miscarriage or something like that. So I think we waited until 10 weeks for our first scan. And then we had a scan at 20 weeks, and then that was it. I think I saw a um, I think I saw a GP 30 something weeks. I think when you have a yeah when you have a private midwives, you need to have a doctor appointment at some point late in pregnancy. And then um, yeah, so the two oh, – my little one's just crying outside the door. <laughs> She's trying to well, she wants me, but that's okay. She's with her dad. Um,
0: what were the last kind of few weeks of pregnancy like for you, and how did labour begin?
1: They were beautiful, actually um, the midwifery care was fantastic and just what I needed um but I was also looking for i did a lot of a lot more reading. I was much more informed by the time I was pregnant the second time around about many things and in many ways um, excuse me and um I also was looking for some additional support and um we asked my sister-in-law. My husband's Italian, and so his family's all in Italy. And we asked my sister-in-law, who is also who's also trained to be a doula and lives in Italy, and has wanted to have her own children but doesn't have uh, has never had them because she hasn't doesn't have a partner and and hasn't been able to have children on her own. And we asked her if she would be able to come and support us for the birth, um, but unfortunately she couldn't get time off work, so she couldn't come. And then my husband suggested asking my very, very close friend who's German and lives in Germany um, with two young boys of her own um, if she would come. And to our delight and surprise, she said yes and her partner made it possible for her to travel from Germany all the way to Australia and spend three and a half or four and a half weeks with me, leaving her little boys who were at the time um, not, not quite two and four years old or so. Behind, oh, wow. um, so that was, <laughs> that was very special, <laughs> and that was definitely one of the highlights of my second birth because it really started. I mean, obviously it's tr- through the pregnancy having quite a, um, just a like a low key pregnancy and expectation of just normal birth and without any particular hype. Um, but having her here to wait with me for those final weeks was very very special, and. um is it too loud
0: that's fine if you can handle it (laughs) it it doesn't grate on me the way it probably does on you
1: (laughs) so she waited with me and she arrived at 38 weeks I was very nervous that baby would arrive before she did but luckily baby didn't arrive baby only just arrived before she left actually Um, which was nice because we actually had those three weeks to just, um, to hang out together, to just spend some time together, someone to sort of be there when I was, whenever I was a bit concerned or overwhelmed or whatever, just having a very, very close friend. So it was a very special time. And so we just enjoyed a lot of beautiful food, like we do in my house anyway, and just really enjoyed that connection with her. And, um, and I had, um, early signs of, labor the the twinges and contractions and stop-start labor for probably two weeks before my baby arrived. Um, so it was quite it was quite frustrating and it went on and on and it, she ended up, um, she was born at forty weeks plus five days. and once again, I had a premature rupture of the membranes um, one evening and phoned the midwives because I thought the contractions were, starting and the midwives came over early in the morning and checked me out and stayed for a couple of hours but the contractions just kind of died off so they went home and suggested that we um, Jan suggested that I do uh, that I just try and relax and she also suggested trying a nipple stimulation um, which I did at 11am for one minute uh, every five minutes for an hour and by about halfway through that I was getting contractions, and by the time I finished, the contractions were regular. Sorry, (laughs) just waiting for her to go downstairs. It's not so noisy. Um, And the contractions stayed regular for the rest of the afternoon. So we went. um, It was a beautiful sunny day. It was a Sunday. So we went out and had a picnic and bought bought some falafel and went to the lake in Coburg and had a picnic, which was my son's favourite place. And we just walked around, and I spent the whole time um, curb walking, you know what that is? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Just because I was still in denial that labour would actually happen because I, I was a bit concerned about ending up having another induction, that labour wouldn't progress and because of the waters that they'd recommend an induction. So that was kind of always in the back of my mind. So I spent the whole afternoon curb walking and just trying for,
0: to just uh, um I'll just say, just for anybody who doesn't know what that is, to my knowledge, that's kind of walking alongside the curb with like one one foot up on the curb and one on the road. And yeah. Yeah, kind of, it must do something to help kind of wiggle the baby down.
1: Yeah, just like kind that. of sh- jiggle the pelvis. It's, I think, in in my case, it wasn't the road because we were in a park, but it was around the concrete that was around a picnic area. So one foot on the grass, one foot on the concrete, that sort of uneven stepping. And I think the idea is similar when you're walking up and down the stairs, just to try and sort of jiggle and shuffle the pelvis a little bit to um, encourage the baby to descend. Mm. Um, yeah. And, yeah, so we did that and then we went and had an ice cream at the Jell-O bar in in Brunswick East and I was having contractions every 10 minutes, 10 minutes the whole time and um, and that was that were manageable. Um, and then eventually we drove home and I said to Laura, my friend, and my husband, should I phone, should I ask Jan and should I message Jan and see if I should do the nipple stimulation again? And they're like, no, we think you're probably in labour already. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, I think I did message her actually. She said no, just wait. So we got home probably around five o'clock, and my husband got some dinner ready, and um, and then my son went to bed. Laura put my son to bed at around six thirty, and that was right then the contraction. Right when he went to bed is when the contractions started to go from about ten minutes to five minutes apart. Uh, so it was perfect timing because he was just going to bed. So I was perfect timing for me because I found it easier to relax. And the midwives arrived around seven and I just laboured for the next few hours, mainly leaning over the back of the couch um, whilst the midwives just hung out and Laura was sewing in our living room. She was working on, she was making a a big um, kangaroo to take home to her boys, which she sewed and stuffed (laughs) and made this beautiful toy that was like 50 centimetres tall or something, really, really cool toy. So she sat there sewing that um, and we just, we just would chilling out and every time the contraction came I just withdrew within myself and um when I needed to moan I started to moan and yeah it was just a really normal event because there was nowhere to go and we were everyone was there that needed to be there um and it was just it was fine there was never a moment at all that pain was an issue of course there was pain but I just breathed through it and moaned through it and I, there was never a point where I actually felt that the pain was overwhelming. Um, except when I lied down at some point, Jan suggested that I lie down to give my legs a break, and I found that really difficult because it was much more intense. So I didn't mm. stay lying down for long. Um, and at some point Jan said, because um, she knew I wanted to have a baby in the water, so we had the, the birth pool set up. Um, but, and it was set up, I knew it had been set up but I didn't want to get in because I was worried that if I got in too soon that it might slow the labour down mm. and um, I didn't I didn't believe that I – I didn't know. I, I just, yeah, I was worried about getting in the water too soon and slowing things down. So in my mind I could have had like hours and hours and hours of labour left because I had no idea. I wasn't struggling. I imagine it would be a lot worse and a lot more difficult before the baby arrived. But at some point around 10.30, Jan said, if you want to have the baby in the water, I think you should get in the water. Um, And by the time I got in, I was only in there for 15 minutes before she was born. So my only regret is that I didn't get in sooner um, because I would have really liked to enjoy it for, for longer. And I couldn't stay in there afterwards, unfortunately, because she was born with quite a short cord. So I couldn't actually bring her up to my chest. And they got me out within seconds of birthing, I was climbing out of the pool and um, shuffling back to the couch. So I didn't really get to enjoy the water as much as I
0: yeah, would have liked. Just going like, back a little bit to when you kind of got in the water, did you have the urge to push straight away? And was it similar to kind of the really intense, uncontrollable urge that you'd had in the previous birth? Or yeah, what Do you want to talk a little bit about what that actual birth was like?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, No, no urge to push. Um, What I did feel was her descending. um, So it must have been right. Quite interesting. It felt like she descended quite quickly. So I actually felt her descending down the vaginal canal. And I remember I called out and we've got a video and I watch it sometimes. It's coming. And so (laughs) you can see the midwives kind of leaning forward with their gloves on, ready to catch her, but she didn't come out for another few more minutes. But there was no urge to push. I actually didn't push her out. She just came out. It was just the the fetal ejection reflex. And when I look at the video, I find it quite interesting that, no, she didn't push. She just came out with one of the contractions, whether it was the next one or the one after that. Um, The only difficulty that I had, and it was probably the only difficulty I had in her labour and birth, was when I was in the water um, and she was ready to be born, was to get into a position with my legs open wide enough to let her be born because I was trying to close my legs. And I think um, I think that that was maybe muscle memory. I think the only time that I had experienced, although I wasn't having the urge to push, um, experienced anything like that kind of pressure and sensation was in my previous labour where I knew that I was pushing too soon and I was trying to close my body and not surrender to it. I was trying to do the opposite. So, I'm only speculating, but I feel like maybe that was muscle memory, kind of making it really, really difficult. That, I had, that in the end, Jan had to actually sort of whisper in my ear, "If you don't open your legs, you're gonna squash your baby's head." And I had to hold my legs apart. I had to, I, I asked them to help me because I just couldn't. Um, I couldn't seem to get into a position where I could 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 do that carefully, uh, uh, comfortably, or uh, yeah, just I couldn't. So. That was that was interesting. That was the only struggle that I had, um, which is pretty significant, I suppose, because there's nowhere else to, for her to come out at that point,
0: obviously. Yeah, and I'm that sure she cool. would have just, you know, made her way out, squeezed her way out somehow. But yeah, I think so maybe. too.
1: I mean, yeah, but yeah. So that was the birth, and mm-hmm. then um, and then I was on the couch, had pretty severe um cramping and st- until the placenta was born. Um, which was maybe 20 minutes or so later and then after that we found out that it was a girl who's here. Um, and, yeah, hello, sweetheart. I won't be much longer. Um, and Laura, actually my husband asked Laura if she wanted to cut the cord which um, was really special. Laura's my friend, the German friend. Um, and we were just at home and the midwife stayed around for a few hours. Yes, it's nice blue tag, sweetie. Thank you.
0: Um,
1: and, yeah, so she was born and then the next morning my my son slept through everything. And the next morning he got up and when I sat out of bed and he saw that my belly wasn't there, we asked him, is there anything unusual? And he And he realised that my belly was gone and he said, oh, the baby, the baby. And he said, "Easy peasy lemon squeezy," and he ran downstairs to try and find her because he knew she was going to be born downstairs. But she was already she was right next to me in the crib next to my bed, so we had to call him back. (laughs) And um, and he said, "Oh, he would have liked a boy, but it was okay. She was okay." So um,
0: yeah. Mm -hmm. And then
1: my friend Laura was with us for an extra five days, four or five days before she went home. She left um. On a very, very cold, wet Friday winter morning, and right when I was in the five uh, day four postpartum blues with really engorged breasts and a lot of pain. And so we said goodbye. My husband took her to the airport because I was in no state to go there. Um, and yeah, that was it. And then here we are.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and how was your breastfeeding journey with her? It
1: was. Fine. I've been really lucky with both of mine to have no real issues. Breastfeeding, the only issues that I've had really has been an overabundance of milk, with both of them, oversupply so having to um, hey, with my first, I took the um, too much advice from other people who told me that I needed to feed from each side of each feed, which it's my instincts were telling me was too much because he was growing so rapidly and positing so much, and just didn't feel like he needed that much. Um and when I stopped doing that and started feeding from one from one side of each. I oh know, sweetheart, I won't be long, sweetheart. <laughs> when I start, started feeding it only one side per feed with him, it everything settled down. I stopped getting the blisters that I had and all sorts of things. So with Lana I only fed her ever from one side at each feed and each feed took maximum seven minutes one side feed five six seven minutes that's it a few hours later the other side um the same just five or six or seven minutes and that was it so really easy actually Hmm. um and i fed them both until about 20 months
0: yeah yeah amazing yeah how old is is it lana yeah how old is she now
1: Two years and three months.
0: Oh, beautiful. Yeah. 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 So, and
1: my and, – oh, careful. And the first year with her was a completely different story. It was not particularly difficult. It was just, yes, of course, there were some difficult moments, but nothing compared to my first. It was just – everyone says that, that it's easier with the second, and I think it's for a number of reasons. In my case, the first was so hard. Um Maybe that's why. And also, of of course, we have more experience by the time we have more babies. Um, I don't think she was necessarily an easier baby, but it just was easier. I don't really know. But, I mean, I didn't take a year off. I started my business after – started training after six months and started volunteering for Birth for Humankind um, around the same time and then started my business and, yeah, haven't looked back. And she's just here and just goes along with things and –
0: yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. And um, yeah, thank you, thank you, Lana, for being patient. <laughs> hey. Hello. What have you got, Blue Tech? Yeah. Wow. On, um. Go for.
1: Oh, that's um Al in Italian. The, the children are bilingual, so she's talking Italian.
0: Oh, Okay. Yep. That makes sense. <laughs> yeah, big
1: going, out.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing. It was such a pleasure to speak to you. I'm really keen to check out those um pages. That you mentioned. Yeah, that sounds so interesting. It might get help give me a bit of clarity about what I want to do because I'm pretty um pretty up in the air. I'd love to work with um kind of. I'd love to work in Australia with Indigenous women and and sort of improving outcomes there. And um, I guess be involved in some small way and kind of helping helping protect protect and incorporate traditional practices. So, yeah, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah,
1: there's actually just taking her away. There's actually um yeah, I'm sure you're familiar with different organisations working to to improve outcomes for Indigenous women and families here in Australia. Um, yeah, that's a great, great thing to want to do. I've also started a new partnership just a few months ago with a woman, a Mexican woman, who's quite a renowned uh, midwife. Her name is Noelia Binaver and she she works in kind of a unique way, combining traditional and contemporary midwifery practices, and um, she's well known for her teachings of the uh, use of the rebozo and all sorts of other things, and she runs a series of workshops online online. Um, she normally was running her workshops in person. She lives in Brazil, but she started offering them online this year. So she's had hundreds of people sign up to her workshops from all around the world. And um, she was interested in my background in anthropology and my having lived in Mexico. And she asked me to, she's just asked me recently to partner with her. So mm-hmm. I'm her partner here in Australia um, to promote her workshops. And she's, it's actually a paid partnership. But I'm, whatever the proceeds that I'm getting from this partnership, I'm actually donating to An organisation here called Waminda, who's in New South Wales, and they're working to support the birthing on country project Mm, for Indigenous families here in Australia. So that's one organisation, but there are many obviously working to improve um, outcomes for Indigenous um, the Koori maternal health services here in Australia.
0: So yeah. yeah, amazing. I'll um I will put some info about that partnership if you'd like to kind of promote it on the podcast. I can share some of that. Um, for the listeners as well yeah should be good Mm. great oh amazing well I better let you go so you can go do probably dinner and bedtime or (laughs) whatever we're up to now but yeah thank you so much thank you for listening in to today's episode with Mary if you'd like to find out more about more info about the art of birth workshops that she is partnering with to bring to Australia you can find out more info on her website and if you head over to my Instagram page you can see some photos from her birth and and yeah you can follow through all the links to head to her Instagram and website from there um, and find out yeah all about everything that's discussed in this episode. I have an exciting feedback story coming up next week so stay tuned for that one and make sure to click subscribe so you're notified as soon as it's published. Bye!